0: foundation is built on solid rock. Yeshua. Yes, the rock of our salvation. On Solus Radio. terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a terrifying thing to, to fall into the hands of the living God. One of the challenges that is faced by those of us in the world today is the challenge of having a relationship with the living God. Because even in the body of Messiah, Messiah, Messiah's body at large, when you look at the worldwide body, there are people who assent to a living God mentally. They know God is alive. They know God is real, but it's a mental assent. But there is no intimacy. Because God is not living to them. And they are not living to God. We step into a religious practice in order to demonstrate our faith that God is alive. But there is a lack of intimacy with the living God. Who is very much alive, who is not just real, but is alive and wants to be alive to us, in us, and through us. And we are to live in him, with him. And through him. And it's a call to extreme intimacy. Which is why it is a terrifying thing for us to fall into the hands of a living God. When you think about your Bible readings, for those of you who care enough about God to actually read your Bible, as you read through your Bible, you will notice every time even an angel shows up, everybody is terrified the first reaction to something from the kingdom manifesting in this world is always terror. Because while we believe in these things, we're not really ready to face them because they are not real to us. It is a mental thing. There's no depth in our walk with God. It is a very shallow walk, and because it's a shallow walk... It's a shallow relationship because it's a shallow relationship. When you read your Bible, the things that are supposed to happen simply do not happen. And we wonder, I wonder what's wrong with God. And it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. A living God. Now, as I read through the Bible and I spend three, four hours a day in the Bible... On average, maybe maybe three hours. Just eating, grazing, chewing on things. You see, you don't read the Bible to see what it says. You read the Bible so that it changes you. Too many people read their Bible to see what it says. It's a, it's a living word, and you don't read it just to see what it says. You You, you have to chew on it and digest it. And 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 ask the Holy Spirit to help you grasp its reality. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands uh, hands of of a living God. And as I read the Bible, I'm troubled by a lot that the Bible says. It troubles me, particularly when Messiah is speaking on his first coming, and the letter to, no, I'm going to Mattitjah. I should look at my notes once in a while, Mattitjah. Matthew chapter 7, page 12, 31 in the Stern Translation, beginning in 13. He is doing a teaching, and in his teaching he says, Go in through the narrow gate, for the gate that leads to destruction is wide, and the road broad, and many travel it. That bothers me, that there is a wide gate and a wide um, road, and and, and every, there there are many that follow that, and by the Messiah's own terminology, many are, are are following down that road, which is wide and broad, and there's a lot of people on it. As a matter of fact, most people are on it because many people are on it, as opposed to verse fourteen. But it is a narrow gate and a hard road that leads to life, and only a few find it. That troubles me. That troubles me. Because the Messiah said, only a few find the narrow road that goes through the narrow gate. The vast majority of people are on the broad road. The broad road leads to destruction. The narrow road is a hard road, but it leads to life. Most believers don't take this kind of thing seriously. We have a mental set. I believe. My name is Nebuchadnezzar. I'm okay. God's okay. He's my best friend. Life is good. He can show up if he wants to. If he doesn't, I still believe. And it's a very shallow relationship. And God doesn't move in shallow relationships. Because it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Because a God... Like our God, who is a God of love, my theology has not changed. He's a God of love, He's a God of peace, He's a God of grace. He is a just God and a holy God. He he demands justice, He demands holiness. It's His call, it's a very high calling. Yochanan chapter 3, page 1332, in the stern translation beginning in verse 16, one of the more famous scriptures among the body today. For God so loved the world, He gave His only and unique Son, so that everyone who trusts in Him may have eternal life, instead of being utterly destroyed. So the whole world is divided into two groups of people. And everything hangs on the Messiah. There are those who are on their way to utter utter destruction, which is a broad road, and most people are on that one. And the hard, narrow road leads to life and it goes to messiah because messiah is the way the truth and life no one comes to the father except through him Amen. which is why I always say it's all about god it's all about the messiah right. and everyone is either on a hard road leading to life which is only a few can find that road only a few according to the messiah most people are on the broadway, in, in, in the broad road, and it leads to utter destruction. Not that they will cease to exist, but they'll get exactly what they want—a life void of God, which is a terrible place to end up. Verse seventeen: For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world but rather so that through him the world might be saved. You see, the world was already ripe for judgment. It had already been judged once back at the flood in the sixth chapter. The whole world was under condemnation because they were not holy to God. And they were All set up for judgment just like today. Everybody is set up for judgment. Messiah didn't come to bring judgment. He came to save us from judgment. Verse 18. Verse 18. Those who trust in Him are not judged or no longer judged. Those who do not trust have been judged already or remain in judgment in that they have not trusted in the one who is God's only and unique son the lost are lost they're lost the lost they're 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 they're, they're, they're so they're they're so lost But those who are in the body today have such a shallow relationship with God. They don't worry about scriptures that say that in the time to come there will be those who will stand before the living God because we will all Ultimately, stand before the living God. You won't stand before me. You won't stand before each other. You will stand before God. Everybody in the world will stand before the living God. And everything will be undone. And many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things for you? And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. Most believers don't, aren't troubled by those types of biblical statements. But that's what God is speaking to us about. God takes this seriously when we don't take this seriously. God takes sin seriously when we do not take sin seriously. Because we take the freedom that we have in Messiah, turn it into license, and I can live any way I want to live, and I just want to come into services and let God bless me because I was nice enough to accept his invitation to gather on Shabbat with others who were kind enough to gather on Shabbat. Here we are at his invitation, just pour out your spirit and bless us. Let's not talk about what we did last week. Let's not talk about what we're going to do next week. Let's not talk about those secret sins that we hide deep within us. And many will say, "Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things for you?" And he said, oh, "I never knew you. Depart from me." Chapter eight, page thirteen forty-one. Still in Yochanan. Still in John. Page thirteen forty-one. The Stern translation for verse twenty-three. Yeshua said to them, "You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world." There's the challenge we're all faced. We're not supposed to be of this world. We're supposed to be in this world, but we're supposed to be of Yeshua. And too many believers are of the world, and they think they're going to get away with this. And and, and Messiah said, you're from below, I'm from above. That's a problem. Because while your mind will tell you you are seated with Him in the heavenly places, because the Bible says you are. Your lifestyle, if somebody was looking at you, would not lend to that reality. And people who know you do not see you very different than anybody else in the world because there are a lot of good people in the world that are utterly lost. And the body of Messiah is not set aside. It is not set apart. It is not holy unto Him. Because we are satisfied with a shallow relationship. And Messiah said, you're from below, I'm from above. That's a problem. Verse 24. This is why I said to you, you'll die in your sins. For if you do not trust that I am... David's Stern put in parentheses, who I say I am. But the reality is he says, I am. And he very often said, I am. Which means something to his Jewish audience, because God... Is known since he met Moshe at the burning bush, I am. Because you don't know, trust who I am, you will die in your sins. And here's the here's the burden that God has. God cares for the lost of this world so much, he gave his only unique son to be sacrificed to save them, to redeem them, to rescue them. And we, his People, if we're going to have His heart, what are we going to do with the lost of this world who are so utterly lost when in reality we are barely, barely, barely saved in the kingdom because we keep such a shallow relationship? Do we not risk one day facing the living God and hearing the terrifying words, I never knew you, depart from me. Because that statement is made to people who were in congregations following the Messiah at a very shallow, shallow, shallow thing where they were simply performing miracles and healing people. Which bothers me. It troubles me. Does it trouble you? That the lost are so utterly lost and how can we have a burden for the lost when we don't even have a burden for our own relationship with God? How can we accept a shallow relationship with the living God and think we're going to be a witness and testimony to the lost of the world? You should come in and have a shallow relationship with me, like me, because you can do anything you want we'll have a great religious service and you'll feel really good. Unless somebody's preaching like this. Do you understand that? Messiah says, uh, this is why I said, you're going to die in your sins. You're going to die in your sins. And if you want to live without God, God said, if you want to live without me, I'll make you a deal. You can have eternity without me. That's what hell is. An eternity without God. Do you understand? He he creates his free will. If I want to have a religious experience, but a life without God, he says, have your religious experience. I'll give you an eternity without me. And that's utter destruction. When you get to that place where there's no nothing of the presence of God, that's a terrifying thing. That's a frightful place. Hell is not just what you see in movies and on pictures where there's fire and brimstone and some, some squirrely looking devil with pointy ears and a red tail and a pitchfork. Do you understand? Hell is a real place of separation from God where there is nothing of the love of God, nothing of the peace of God, nothing of the reality of God, because that's what people want. That's what the lost of the world have today. And God is so burdened for that that he gave his only unique son to be sacrificed for that. And we, his people, blow that off while they're lost. That's their problem. And how can we truly intercede for the lost of the world if our heart does not carry the same burden that God's heart is carrying? There's the problem with the shell relationship and and a lack of intimacy. People say, well, I'm wise. I have this all figured out. I have arrived. I know this. I know that. You compare yourself to other believers. I know Jesus wasn't His real name. His name was Yeshua. Wow! There is a Revy. There are people who have come through this congregation who learned the holy name of God. Now they've rejected the Messiah because they know the holy name of God so they have an end. And I said, are you really willing to risk your, your children And reject the Messiah when He said, I'm the only way, I'm the only truth, I'm the only life. And my heart is crushed for the people who are so ultimately lost. Lost, lost. We say, I'm wise. Well, Michelet Proverbs, I don't know where I'm going. No, it's Ecclesiastes. Chapter 2, that's Kohelet in Hebrew. Let me look at my notes and get a clue where I am. Page 1076 in Stern Translation, verse 16. For the wise man, like the fool, will not long be remembered. Inasmuch as in time to comes, everything long ago has been forgotten. The wise man, no less than the fool, must die. You say, I have a lot of wisdom. Yardside candles, days for Franz Foster. The vast majority of you in this room have no idea who Franz Foster was. In this gathering on a Saturday morning, there's probably less than than six or seven of us that can remember Franz. You weren't there when he was with us. He was a pillar in this congregation. You weren't there when he received salvation. You weren't there when he came back to that con- concert after he had visited with us once. And you weren't there as he just stood up and paced. And you weren't there for the week after week as he languished in the hospital And eventually lost the ability to speak and eventually died and you weren't at his funeral. And the name Franz Foster means nothing to you. And I tell you, he was a dear friend of mine and a pillar in this congregation. And we remember him on the anniversary of his death. And most of you don't have a clue who he was. That's the way it is. It's not your fault. fault, You weren't here. This congregation has been around a long time. And there are people who have come through here and died that you never had a chance to meet. And there's the reality. We may think we're wise, but we will ultimately all die and face the living God. And that's a terrifying prospect. That's a terrifying prospect because we're going to face the living God. And you can fool a lot of people. You can fool all the people. But you can't fool God. And when you face God, it's a terrifying thing. And you don't want to be the believer who says, Lord, Lord, didn't I do great things in your name? You don't want to be in that group. You don't want to be that person. That he looks at you and said, I never knew you. Departs. That troubles me. That troubles me. Are we burdened for the lost the way that God is burdened for the lost? These people are going to end up in what the West calls hell. In Hebrews, it's the Gehenna. I decided to look at hell from a Jewish perspective. If you were Jewish, you want to talk about hell, where would you look? Oh, Torah, and Nevin, Torah and the Prophets. And I decided, you want to walk through hell, let's walk through the prophet Yeshahu, Isaiah. We'll begin in chapter 33, which is on page 486. And we're going to walk through Yeshahu, Isaiah. Chapter 33, verse 12. The peoples will be let be... As if burned into lime. Like thorns cut off to be burned. Verse 13. You living far off. Hear what I have done. You are nearby. Acknowledge my strength. You close from God. You're far from God. You acknowledge God's strength. Because people are going to burn. People are going to burn. Because you have a just God. He's a loving God. Absolutely, God, God is love according to the Bible, and I believe that. This doesn't cancel out our season of love, our season of joy. All that's true, but it does also not cancel out the justice and the holiness of God. Because I'm telling you the reality that people will be burned into lime and kind of have to Burn in the fire, and it's not a total destruction. It's a, it's to give you a picture of what it's like to be separated completely from God, which is what people want. They want to be they want to reject God and be separated from God. And God said, "If that's what you want, that's what you get." And the problem we have is, oh, we can play religion, and we want religion, and we have a mental assent to God. We have a mental assent to Messiah. Do you know the adversary believes Yeshua is the Son of God? And the Messiah, and he's still lost. How many people believe Yeshua, Jesus, is the Son of God and the Messiah? But they're still not in the book of life. Because their lifestyle is a lifestyle of religion and not a relationship of intimacy with the living God. And people, you you can't, you can't settle for that. Chapter 57, verse 20. Page five, twenty-eight, in the Stern Translation. The wicked are like the restless sea, and they will be still. Its waters toss up mud and dirt. The lost are out there among the lost, and they don't know how desperately lost they are because their world is among people who are lost, and everyone seems the same. And they are blinded to how lost they are because everybody around them is the same. And to a great extent, the believers are the same out there in the world as the non-believers out there in the world. We do not shine like the city on the hill. We blend in. And everyone's caught in this whirlwind of mud and dirt and everyone, I'm okay, you're okay. And we don't agree, but it's okay. There is life. There is not life. There's an afterlife. There's not an afterlife. There's many lives. There's all kinds of thoughts. And and nobody sees the difference. And they're so ultimately lost. But they don't... They, you say, you say, you got to be saved. And they say, saved from what? Everybody's like me. If we're not going to have a burden the way that God has a burden, if we're not going to be so close to God that what breaks His heart breaks our heart, how can we truly be believers? How can we truly be the people of God if we don't feel what He feels? How can we adequately pray for the lost when we don't have a burden for the lost? How can how can God bring us into revival even if we pray 24 hours a day, send us revival, send us revival, send us revival, and I'll explain to you, God, what revival is. You come in and just bless my socks off, and you make me feel really good, and you do all kind of signs and wonders, and then the whole community will flood in here. Just do that. It's a shallow, cheap prayer, and you don't get answers to that kind of prayer, because when God shows up, He brings first holiness. The first thing is holiness. And everybody who sees it, I don't care if you're a prophet standing in the temple in Jerusalem. When God shows up, what's the reaction? I am undone. I am undone. God showed up in the temple in Jerusalem where I was looking for him. this prophet. Do you understand that? He was in the temple looking for God in Jerusalem and God showed up in his reaction. I am undone. I'm unclean. My people are unclean. I'm absolutely undone. But we, in our boldness, come in. I'm going to walk into the holiest place. I'm going to go to the Holy of Holies. I'm going to commune with God. Me and God's like this. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is great. If God doesn't move in my life, I still believe I'm such a believer. I will tell you God is with me whether it feel like He is or not. Whether He's real to me or not, I believe He's with me. Therefore, He is with me, which is, A part of life sometimes when you're busy. I'm not saying that's a terrible thing. I'm telling you, if you're going to settle for that, that's what you're going to get. And here's the risk. You're going to stand before the living God. And that's a terrifying thing because he's going to look at you and you're going to have to try to defend yourself and say, Oh, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many great things in your name? Do you understand that? I identify with Paul. I just want to make sure that somehow I get to the resurrection. I'm saved here. Because when I read the Bible, it troubles me. I'm burdened. My heart is broken. My heart is broken. I was laying in bed this morning, and I feel my heart crushing. Just crushing for my people. We're here for a community that is lost, doing many great things. Those of us from Jewish families or former Muslim families. I'm looking to see who's here today those of you who have a Muslim family out there, for most of us, particularly Jewish or the former Muslims, we're the only believers in our family. And our families are lost. Nothing more difficult than witnessing to your family when you have a Jewish or or a Muslim family. That's a real struggle. It's a struggle. But, but, but to our hearts... Do you understand? Do we sweat blood when we're praying for the lost? Or do we throw up cheap prayers? And I'll tell you, my wife and I pray. We pray every night. Every night we say, who led it last night? We take turns. I'll She'll pray and next night I'll pray. And, it, and we walk it down. We start with us in our home and whoever's in our home at the time. People come to our home. We pray for my son and his family, my daughter and her family. We pray for their situations. We pray then for our congregational families, this family, the Beth-Yeshua family. We pray Before that, we, we pray for our extended family, the Cohens and the Hungermans. So we lift up all the Cohens. We lift up all the Hungers, and we pray for them very specifically. Very specifically. We lift them all. Then we pray for the two congregations. Then we pray for Israel. We pray for Jerusalem. We pray for the Prime Minister. We pray about... What That could be a cheap prayer. That costs us nothing. Do you understand that? And I'm not saying there's no room for that. Because that is a cheap prayer. When it's time for us to go to bed, we're getting ready to go to bed. You know, it's before you... It's that, okay, it's time for us to leave this part of the house and head for the master bedroom side of the house. And before we do that, whose turn is it to pray? One prays and the other one fills in anything that's missed, you know? That's a cheap prayer. That costs us nothing. And I tell you that because it's okay to pray a cheap prayer because I'm going to pray for my family because nobody else is praying for my family. Nobody else is praying for your family. But if I just throw up a cheap prayer, save the Cohens, save the Hungermans. It's a cheap prayer and I want God to answer that kind of a prayer. Does my heart break for my own family? Does my heart break for you? Does my heart break for me? Can our heart be broken? Can it be crushed? Can what break God's heart break our heart? Do we have that intimate walk with God? See, these believers, these unbelievers, the wicked, they're out there. And and everyone's the same. Everyone's the same and they can't see anybody different. There are no believers like... uh, uh, a city on the hill with a shining light that the lost can say, why do they get to be up there where it's pure and clean and holy and we're caught in this quagmire? No one is showing them the way. We give them cheap, cheap, cheap witness. Come to my congregation, we'll teach you our religion. And they came in, which is why there's a whole generation being lost who are sick of going into congregation. Where all they're offered is religion. And we say, what's wrong with this, what's wrong with this new generation that isn't coming into our congregation? And I'm saying, what's wrong with the congregations that they don't want to come to our congregations? Do you understand that? We are the problem. We have settled for less than intimacy with a living God. And our hearts are not burning, and we have yet to, to, Sweat blood over the lost of this world who are so ultimately lost. Chapter 59, page 531. He repays according to their deeds. Fury to his foes. reprisals to his enemies. To the coastlands. He will repay their due. He's a God of love, but you're going to get what you deserve. You get to choose. You will get what you deserve. Messiah came to save you from all of that. But you don't get into the book of life and then live any way you want because when you accept the Messiah, He becomes your Lord. And you belong to Him. And you can't live any way you want to live. You can't do anything you want to do. You cannot. Freedom is not license. Fury. Reprisal. God speaks like this in the Bible. Chapter 66, page 542, beginning in verse 15. For look, how then I will come in fire. Oh, let your fire fall. Let your fire fall. For those of you that come out to the prayer meeting, you know exactly the direction we're going because I tell everybody at the prayer meeting, it's only members. But when I pray for you, tend to pray in Hebrew because he instructed me to pray in Hebrew. In Hebrew, I'm praying, uh, which is the fire from Elohim. The fire from Elohim. And I invite the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, now please. Now please. And when I sense the presence of God, I say, the fire from you, Elohim. From you, Elohim the fire from you Elohim because he told me to do that and I have to do it specifically the way he did because I didn't used to call him Elohim I called him Adonai and he said I want you to call me Adonai during the season you call me Elohim know who you're talking to and I said yes sir I even made a note up here so I don't forget I should clarify that Linda made a note for me up here so I don't forget So I pray the way He tells me to pray. Do you understand? Adonai will come in fire and His chariots will be like a whirlwind to render His anger furiously, His rebuke with blazing fire. We want His fire to fall in this congregation. I want His fire to fall in this congregation. He wants His fire to fall in this congregation. But His fire comes to burn up the dross first because the games that you play are no longer played when the presence of God shows up. No more games. You can't just... What you look at, what you listen to, what you say, what you do, What you, you understand you can't do this stuff. You can't live a life a sloppy life, lifestyle and, 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 and exist in the presence of God. And God wants to pour His presence out in this congregation. And I know you all tend to sense the presence of God in this congregation because the Holy Spirit is very graceful and He's always here in His presence and He always ministers and you always feel His presence. But you feel a very shallow, 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 shallow thing that's going on here because we can't get to the deep things of God because we're not willing to pay the price of going to the deep things of God because if we don't have a burden for our Jewish community, for our... Muslim community here if we're not going to let our hearts be broken and cry out for the lost of this world why would God just want to start blessing us so the place could be flooded out with people and all we could do is teach them our religion and hope God shows up because we're not paying the price the price is everything do you understand we want all of God should he settle for less than all of us If you want all of God, you have to be willing to sacrifice all of you to Him. All of you. Not just a part. Not half-hearted. Not just when you have time. Verse 16. For Adonai will judge all humanity with fire and with sword. And those slain by Adonai will be Many. Why does he always say many? Why does he always allude to, allude to that reality that most are on the narrow road? Why can't he say most of us are okay? But he never says that. I made a mistake in the computer and they didn't get all the scriptures. It was my mistake. We have them now. You get them in there, Joshua? You know, you're sharp. Verse 17. That's actually in the Stern Translation. Good job. He threw that in there this this morning during the service somehow. Those who consecrate and purify themselves in order to enter the gardens. That sounds good, but that's not good. You're not supposed to enter into the garden. You're supposed to go to the temple. Okay? Then follow the one already there. You go there because somebody's leading you there. And you eat pig meat. You eat reptiles. You eat mice. It's going to be destroyed altogether. Oh, God can't be serious about this. God can't be serious about this. Does it bother you? The Bible says this. You eat pig meat, you're going to get cut off. No, well, no, no, that's not true. That's the way it used to be, but God changed. Oh, if God changed, He can't judge me because I'm sure what He changed. Do you understand? If God changed one thing in the Bible without explaining to me He changed one thing in the Bible, then all bets are off. I'll stand in judgment and say, I didn't know what you were serious about. Well, you're not serious about because you said, I can't eat pig meat. And then you say, I can't eat pig meat, but then you say if I eat pig meat, I'm cut off. You can't do you understand that? If God changes the Bible, He can't judge me. Well, I can eat pig meat, and I have I can commit adultery. I don't know what works and what doesn't work anymore. Because we don't take the, the Bible as the words of God speaking to us. And the lost are lost, and our hearts are not burdened for the lost. Verse 18, For I know their deeds and their thoughts. The time is coming when I will gather together all the nations and languages, and they will come and see my glory. We all want to see the glory of God, but you're not ready to see the glory of God, because when you see the glory of God, He will judge you, and are you truly holy? Are you truly holy? Are you truly sold out to Him? Or are you sold out to religion? Are you in a shallow relationship and now you think you're ready to face the living God? That's a terrifying thing. We've got to be honest about where we are. And where we are is not deep enough into the reality of the intimacy of God. We've got to get deeper and deeper and deeper into His truth, His reality. Deeper and deeper into Him. This is not to chastise you and rebuke you. This is to open our eyes. God wants to take us deeper, so we can go from glory to glory to glory. But it's an upside down kingdom. You want to go higher with God? Go lower and go lower and go lower, and let Him break your heart with what breaks His heart, and may let your heart be burdened for what burdens His heart. Because He loves the lost so much, He sacrificed His only unique Son, so they could be redeemed from the from the pit that they're falling into That's 18, so Ezekiel chapter 8, page 649. This is a high priest, a high priest setting in Babylonian captivity. Ezekiel, his name was Ezekiel. He was a high priest who had served in the temple in Jerusalem. He was a lover of God. He was a lover of the temple service. And he sat up in Babel, in Babylon. And he mourned the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. We had no longer a sacrifice and he was burdened and tried out, although he knew it was only 70 years because we hadn't kept Yuval, we hadn't kept the Jubilee. He knew he'd get out in 70 years. He was an old man. He wasn't going to live these 70 years. And he gave the most eloquent prophecies surrounding the temple. Talked about four temples, two past, two future. And then in verse uh, 17 of chapter 8, he asked me, human being, in the Hebrew, ben adam, he asked me, son of Adam, which is how God spoke to me, Say, son of Adam, I have a question, you know, I'm going to talk to you, Stern translate, human being, I don't know how other people translate it, but the Hebrew is ben adam, son of Adam, alright, have you seen this, does the house of Yehuda consider it a casual matter, they commit the disgusting practices, they are committing here, thus filling the land with violence, provoking me still more, look, they are even, putting the branch to their nose. Now he's showing them a vision. He's showing a vision of the temple in Jerusalem, which is destroyed. And he's showing a vision of the people with their back to the Ark of the Covenant because they're busy worshiping the sun. He said, these are disgusting practices. Now, the temple's already destroyed. This is a vision. Do you understand that? They even are putting the branch to their nose. That's only used once in scripture and it it, 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 it it's a it's a idiom that ties to a practice at that point in history and it's a play on Hebrew because it's supposed to be at the mouth but he he changed it to say at the nose with a little switch in the in the Hebrew okay it's a play on words it's an idiom that's only in used intact at this point Point in history, and as I was communing with God about how do you want me to teach this out, four o'clock uh, uh, Friday morning, He said, "Here's here's what I want you to tell them," and so I tell you exactly what He told me to tell you. God said, "Seek My face, your face I shall seek," according to the psalmist, right? We're supposed to be seeking God's face, but we're busy sticking our nose into other places where our nose does not belong. And you can't you stick your nose in there and stick your nose in here and stick your nose in somewhere else and then say, I'm seeking God's face because God's not going to wait His turn as you stick your nose into this and you stick your nose into something else and you stick your nose into something else and then you're going to turn around and seek God's face. And God will not... Wait His turn while you're busy sticking your nose where you shouldn't be sticking your nose. If you're going to seek God's face, you've got to seek God's face. 100% of your life, 100% of the time. Always pressing in, pressing in, pressing Him and let Him undo you. And you can't play in the world and be close to God. You can't stick your nose where your nose doesn't belong and then be a seeker of God's face. And he has called out to you, seek my face. And if you see him face to face, you'll die. So the only thing that's going to cost you to seek God's face is a death as you crucify yourself. And surrender totally to him. Which is what God calls of us. But we're not willing to take that. Verse 18. Therefore I will act in fury. My eye will not spare. I have no pity. Even if they cry loudly right in my ears. I will not listen to them. This is what the Bible says. Not me. I'm in the book of life. I have the Holy Spirit. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm okay. God's okay. We're like this. He tells me what side to butter my toast on. You understand? He picks my tie. I have a great relationship with God. Do I see what the Bible says I see? No, it's a real shallow relationship, but that's okay because I still believe. And we become complacent and apathetic and lukewarm. And he says, be hot, be cold, don't be lukewarm. I just vomit you out. He says, I will not listen to him. Would God do that to us? Many will come saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things for you? He said, oh, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, it's a hard, narrow road. Only a few find that. Goes through a narrow gate. Yeshua is the gate, by the way. Put it in context. Yeshua is the gate. It's a hard road. It's a narrow road. Only a few find the true road. That bothers me. That worries me. That troubles me. That's a burden on my heart. Are you? Do you have such a shallow relationship? That means nothing to you. You said a sinner's prayer. You said the magic words. You're in the kingdom. We're talking about hell. Mishle, Proverbs chapter 1, page 942. This is dealing with wisdom. When you read read Mishle, when you're reading Proverbs, it talks about wisdom. Wisdom is sometimes God, it's sometimes just, you know, it's a person. It's a a personification of, of some of the subtle nuances of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is as big as God because God is big. So you're dealing with the Holy Spirit normally, normally. Not every time it says wisdom in an English language Bible. But when you're dealing with a person of wisdom, a God of wisdom, you're dealing with the Holy Spirit. And just one of the aspects of the Holy Spirit. It's very complex. God is very complex, very big. Verse 25, instead, instead you neglected my counsel, you would not accept my re- reproof. Here's the problem. We don't listen to what the Holy Spirit is really saying to us. We put God in a box and we tell him, here's what, here's what I want you to do, here's how much I want you to do, and here's the best time for you to do it. And there's some things I will not allow. Because I want everything done in decency and order. Don't get out of order, Holy Spirit. No. Verse 26. I, in turn, will laugh at your distress and mock you when terror comes over you. I'll laugh at you when the terror comes over you. Verse 27. Yes, when the terror overtakes you like a storm and your disaster approaches like a whirlwind. When distress and trouble assail you. Verse 28. Then they will call on me, but I won't answer. They will seek me earnestly, but they won't find me. Why? Because they've been sticking their nose everywhere else. And when they've been sticking their nose everywhere else but me, they're not going to turn around and say, Your face, Lord, I seek, because I'm in a crisis. Which tends to be the only time when we're really passionate about God, the greater the passion, the, 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 the greater the the crisis in our life, the more passion we have to reach God. But because of the affluence of this great country that we live in, we could take Him or leave Him. And we're going to show up at a service and expect Him to show up? When we haven't been burdened ourselves for the community, why should He share His burden to rescue the community? Now, we're chasing after revival in this congregation, and I'm a, I'm a big proponent. I, I believe in revival. I study revival. I was talking to my wife on the way over this morning about something I was thinking about with the, with the Hebrides re- re- revival. And I, I was reading the same scriptures they were reading at the Hebrides revival and Telim that got, gave them the breakthrough. And I, I meditate on these things for my own life and I do these things. But I'm telling you, God wants our Jewish community saved a lot more than we want our Jewish community saved. We just want to have a good time and feel good when we come to our service. Who cares about the Jewish community? God, let this place become a light and just draw the Jewish community in. Draw the Muslim community in for those of you who are former Muslim Muslims. Just draw the people here and bless them and bless them and bless us. We want to have a good time. We want to have a good time. We want to have a good time. God's not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your holiness. You see, they'll they'll seek me, but they're not going to find me. Verse 29. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They hated knowledge. You don't want to go into the deep things of God. Let's keep it shallow. Let's give the, the, the let's talk about love. Let's talk about joy. Let's talk about the good things of the kingdom. Let's not talk about the the sin and the disgust that God has for sin when He sacrificed His Son to save us and we spit on the sacrifice of the Messiah and go live a sloppy life and it means nothing to us. But bless us anyway. Verse 30. They refused my counsel. They despised my reproof. I slapped them down and didn't do anything for them. And they said, that's okay. We still just want to feel good. Make everything light and fluffy. Verse 31. So they will bear the consequences of their own way and be overfilled with their own schemes. We work out our religion and we end up children... If, if we, if you settle for religion, we work our religion, we will end up with religion and all religion is dead. Including Messianic Judaism without the Messiah. Messianic Judaism is, is replete with ancient religion. And you can just come in here and get sucked up in the religious experience and walk out of here as dead as you were when you came in here. But you think you're okay because I'm okay and you're okay and we're all okay. We're just like the rest of the world who thinks they're all okay too. But the Bible says it's a narrow gate, narrow road, and only a few find it. And many will say, oh, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things? He says, no, I never knew you. You can leave. We have our schemes. And he said, yeah, what you're going to get is your schemes. A holy God is like this. It's like, well, he doesn't seem to be judging anybody. He doesn't seem to be cutting off the evil people because there are really evil people in the world. And we all know, we prayed a little bit earlier for the Olympics. Why? There are evil people in the world that just want to hurt innocent people to make a point. That's evil. That's evil. There are evil people. He doesn't seem to be cutting them off. Well, Romans chapter nine, which is on page fourteen, twelve. Now, what if God, even though He was quite willing to demonstrate His anger, He was now this is to Romans. He's quite willing to demonstrate His anger and make known His power. What if He patiently put up with people who deserve punishment and were ripe for destruction? Look, what if God, who's quite willing, to pour out His wrath against sin, because He is angry with people who ought to hold on to their son when He gave His own son to rescue them from that judgment. Then they stay in judgment, and the anger of God is still boiling against them. Although He loves them, He hates their choices. He hates their will, their free will where they reject Him. My concern is for the body of Messiah. Because we're the ones who are going to stand before Him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things in Your name? Because the world's not going to say that. These are people who are sold out in their congregations and in their religion where things are actually happening. And He says, no, no, I didn't know you. You see, God doesn't come for signs and wonders. Signs and wonders simply happy to God because he happened to God because he is supernatural. He can't help but be supernatural. He shows up. Supernatural things are going to happen. But what happens to us is we're so shallow. We get caught up in the super the supernatural things like this is cool. People are being healed. People are being you know people are being healed. People are being healed. People are, are being filled with joy or they're crying or whatever is manifesting in any congregation where God is truly moving and people lose track to know this is God. And we're distracted by manifestations and we want the manifestations. We don't want God. Because God comes in fire and demands holiness. Are we going to be prepared as a congregation? Are we going to start now to have the burden that God has? Are we willing to get intimate with God when it costs us our life? And it costs your life. It costs everything you do. Everything you are. Every moment of every day, all the time, it's all about God and the Messiah. There's nothing to do in whatever your vocation may be that devoids you of the importance of having Yeshua as your Lord and Master and you walk in His reality. You walk in His reality. If He's patient, He's patient. Psalm 73. I don't know why I go so long on Saturday mornings anymore. I get wound up on Friday night. And I'm really ready to go by Saturday morning. That's on page uh, 862 in the Stern Translation. Indeed, you place them on a slippery slope and make them fall to their ruin. There's the problem. There's a slippery slope. You all get the picture? This is a picture. It's a Jewish thing. It's a picture. They're on a slippery slope. What happens when you're on your slippery slope? You're going to fall. What stops you falling when on your, you're on a slippery slope? Your own weight is pulling you down. Your own weight is pulling you down. What saves you? God and His grace keeps you there. But you're still on a slippery slope. The lost are on a slippery slope. Do you understand? The lost are on a slippery slope. Your family is on a slippery slope. Your neighbors that live behind you and beside you are on a... Uh, a slippery slope, the lost of this world, the community that we are trying to reach are on a slippery slope. And they're sliding down into the abyss, into the pit and separation from God. And are we going to let our hearts be broken for what breaks God's heart? Are we going to sweat blood over the people that we're trying to reach? Verse 19. How suddenly they are destroyed, swept away by terrors, swept away by terrors. They're going to end up in a place devoid of God, a terrifying, terrible place to be. Next verse, I don't know where I am, 20. They are like a dream when one awakens. night. when you rouse yourself, you despise their phantoms. They're like a dream. Yes, yes, you hear a message like this. Yes, I care for the lost. Then you wake up and you say, well, okay, that was a nice dream. God despises our depth. He despises our depth. When you when you rouse yourself, when God rouses Himself, see, we wake up, we forget about the lost. When God wakes up, which is just a picture, you despise the depths of these people. He looks down. How deep is your relationship with God? How deep is your, from God's perspective, how deep is your relationship with Him and His reality? How deep does that actually go? Luke chapter 13, page 13, 11. Yeshua gave this illustration. This is after the unpardonable sin. He's painting a little picture. Here's the picture a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and came along looking for fruit, didn't find any. Real simple thing. Yeshua owns the fig tree. It's His vineyard. He's talking about you and me. His vineyard, His fig tree. He's looking. Are you bearing any fruit? Are you bearing any fruit? He wants to know if you're bearing fruit. Not whether you think you're bearing fruit or whether other people think you're bearing fruit. He's looking for the fruit. He's looking for verse 7. He said to the man who took care of his vineyard, which is going to be the Holy Spirit. Here I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree for three years, and now without finding it, cut it down. Why let it go using up the soil? This is Yeshua talking to his people in his vineyard. He talks to the Holy Spirit. Three years I've been waiting for some fruit. Why should I let him keep taking, you know, why take up a seat in this congregation if you're not going to get sold out to God? Why just come here and take up a seat? And you're going to feel better when you leave than when you came in? Do you understand if all this congregation can offer for people is you will feel better when you leave than when you come in. You can stay home and watch a good sitcom and you will feel better at the end. Do you understand that? Where's the deep things of God? God's not here to make us feel better. He's here to make us holy. To make us holy. Deuteronomy, because I want to do something from Torah. Chapter 32, page 236, verse 28. They are a nation without common sense, utterly lacking in discernment. He's talking about us, his people. A nation without common sense, lacking in discernment. Verse 29. If they were wise, they could figure it out and understand their destiny. You think you're wise? Are you really wise? Do you know where you're headed here? You see, it's a narrow gate, hard, narrow road. You're called to, verse 30. After all, how can one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to rout unless the rock sells them to their enemies? Unless Adonai hands them over. There's no rock like our rock. You should be able to figure that out. Anyone has gone to war against Israel has learned that. There's something special about this people group. Verse 31. For our enemies have no rock like our rock. Even they can see it. Even the enemies of Israel see there's something different about Israel. There's something different here. Even they get that. Verse 32. Rather their vine is from the vine of Saddam, their fields from Amora, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like everything they have is just so worldly. Their life is just worldly. Their grapes are poisonous, their clusters are bitter, verse thirty two. 33, excuse me. Their wine is snake poison. Their cruel, the cruel venom of vipers. The wine is that which they give out, that which they share. It's poison, it's worldly, it's garbage. Verse 34. Isn't this hidden from me, sealed in my storehouses? God says, do you really think I don't know what's going on in you? Do you really think I don't know what's going on in your life? Do you really think I'm not paying attention to who you are and what you are doing? Do you think I really don't see how you are living inside? Verse 35. Vengeance and payback are mine for for the time when their foot slips. There's that slippery slope. Children, of the lost, are on a slippery slope on their way to To separation from God. And if we're not going to be burdened for the loss of this world. Why would God give us the loss of this world? If we're not going to let our hearts break. And be ripped and be crushed. For the loss of our community. For the loss of our family. Why would God use us. To spread his redemption. When we have a cheap relationship with him. When he's calling us to deep, deep is calling to deep. This does not negate the love of God. This does not negate the joy of God. This does not negate the reality of God. These are deeper things still. Deeper things still that God is calling to us, us to as, as, as a congregation. Down to verse 46. Is that where I'm going? He said to them, take heart all these words and testimony uh, testimony I'm giving against you today. This is the same chapter. He's, it's a, it's a heavy, heavy message. He says, take heart that I'm speaking to you this way. So you can use them in charging your children to be careful to obey all the words of the Torah. You've got to walk in obedience before God. At this point in history, the whole Bible was made up of the Torah. There were two books that existed. Uh, Eob, Job, which is the oldest book. And then the first five books. That's the whole Bible. It's the whole Bible. We had the Bible and the whole Bible was Torah. He says, you be careful to obey the Bible. You be careful to walk according to the Bible. I've given you a revelation. You be careful about this, how you handle the words of God. Take heart that I'm giving you a hard message because you've got to know the alternative to selling out to God. God is serious about this. We have to get serious about this. Revelation chapter 19. It's the hallelujah chapter. It's the second coming of Messiah. We're all waiting. Yes, sir, the second coming of Messiah. Whoa, the hallelujah chapter. Messiah is going to come back and reign from Jerusalem. And we all know that. It's all in chapter 19, which is on page 1552 in the Stern Translation. Next, I saw heaven opened. Heaven is not way up there a million miles away where he has to travel light speed to get to us. It's a dimensional shift heaven opened there before me was a white horse sitting on it was one called Faithful and True It is His righteousness that He passes judgment and goes to battle. Messiah is coming back. Why? To pass judgment and go to battle. Because when God shows up, it's going to be first and foremost to pass judgment and go to battle. Because a holy God demands holiness first. First is holiness. The other stuff that we think we want That happens because God is supernatural. If he's here, supernatural things will happen. Do you understand that? Yes, people will be healed. Yes, the dead will be raised. The deaf will hear. The blind will see. All that stuff happens. That happens because God is there. But he's not coming just to bless us with the good stuff. He's coming to cleanse us and cause us to be holy. Verse 12. His eyes were like a fiery flame and on his head were many royal crowns and he had a name written which no one knew but he himself. Verse 13 He was wearing a robe that had been soaked in blood and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Verse 14 The armies of heaven clothed in fine linen white and pure are following him on the white horse. He's coming with his armies. Verse 15 And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he strikes down nations he will rule them with a staff of iron the letter c means he's quoting talim psalms 2 verse 9 it is he who treads the winepress, from which flows the wine of the furious rage of adonai god of heaven's army when he comes back Back. He's going to deal with the people who settled for religion when they could have had a relationship with God because of the cost He paid to bring us into His kingdom. And children, we face that same judgment. Messiah paid the price to bring you into His kingdom. What have you done with the gift of His kingdom? Have you settled for something cheap and shallow? Are you willing to go to the deep things and let Him possess you? Because if you want all of God, the very least you can give Him is all of you. Verse 16. And on His robe and on His thigh He had a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. And end with one thought from First Corinthians 10, verse 12, page 14, 31. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he is standing up be careful not to fall. You might think you're standing up. Be very careful you're not falling because the slippery slope, children, is real. The slippery slope is real. And there are people on the slippery slope. God cared enough to have His Son sacrificed to redeem them. Do you care enough to let your heart Break for the lost of this world. Because if you want to see God move, and this is our little congregation, if you're from somebody else's congregation, you take it into your congregation. For this congregation, you want God to move in this congregation? You've got to let your heart break with what breaks God's heart. And you've got to carry a burden for the lost if you want to see revival. You've got to take up that burden because that's Messiah's burden. That's God's burden. That's the Spirit's burden, is for the lost of this world. And you've got to start, you know, judgment begins with the house of God. It starts. Are we going to do this? Are we going to get serious about this? Are we going to play games? I, as the senior rabbi here, am not the least bit interested in playing any games. I want to go to the deep things of God. But are we as a congregation going to follow this path? Because it costs you everything. And it is a hard road and a narrow path. And your heart is heavy and broken and burdened. You get to choose whether you're going to pay the price. And be blessed everybody. Shabbat Shalom. shalom. Hallelujah. we've we've spent the last 8 years in zimbabwe uh we've gone through a full economic collapse in that process and uh we live in a country we live in a country where uh there hasn't been food in the grocery stores for 4 years and uh, i can't emphasize enough that you know take this seriously don't play around with this you know buy a couple extra bags of beans every time you go to walmart do whatever you can to build up that food supply because you will need it and we're at a point we feed nearly 800 people every day and uh, we have to grow 95% of what we eat uh, because it's not possible to purchase it anywhere. And uh, we, we may get to that point here. And, and uh, we've been through it. We know you can work around it. We know that uh, the Father provides Hallelujah. in those situations, but uh, it is a little hair-raising. It's a bad world out here, so take solace in a Word on Solace Radio. Thank you for listening to Solace Radio. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and comment below. Those little things really help us out and continue to help our channel to grow.